Welcome back again, Rev Divers. Today we are talking to Sharon Smith. And Sharon is the practice manager at Virginia Beach Surgery. She's also heavily involved with Virginia MGMA. And we are really excited today that she allowed us to kind of steal some of her time because we want to talk about something that's going on all over the place right now. And that is delayed payments. And Sharon's kind enough to let us pick her brain. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. We actually had an opportunity um, to speak to some of the members at MGMA Virginia about that impact across the state and, and that two-thirds or more of the practices were saying they were receiving significant delays across huge payers, the big guns, right, like United Healthcare, Anthem, Cigna. And when we say delays, though, um, I want to really kind of define that for our rev divers. So what does that mean? How long are you waiting on average for payments? Well, so delays can come in many forms. Of course, the goal is to complete uh, the claim resolution in a timely manner, and hopefully that's in the form of payment. <laughs> and, uh, but there can be delays for processing of that payment. Um, there can also be seemingly unnecessary requests for records and uh, full or partial claim denials and delays in communications. And all of those, uh, all of those actions reflect in the uh, claims resolution process. Um, we did survey the Virginia providers this past week, um, and almost um, many, many, many of the providers report that they're taking over two months to receive payments. So in the 90 to 120 timeframe uh, to receive payment. And we asked this on clean claims, not just even just all claims in general, because some claims are going to be a little bit more um, difficult to process or take a little bit more time and wouldn't be classified as clean. But approximately 11% reported for Anthem, 28% um, for United Healthcare, and 14% for other uh, carriers other than those two. And while even those claims that are paid timely, they could have they're seeing an uptick uh, uptick in um, uh, retroactive denials and requests for refunds as well. So that that you know just exacerbates the whole problem as uh, for the claims resolution. Um, and also regarding delays in payment, uh, you know, a Richmond Times Dispatch article uh, recently had quoted Anthem as apologizing for delays in, uh, in payments and for any inconveniences it causes. Um, they're quick to cite COVID impacts for reasons for delays. But at our own practice, we've had an example of a claim that was filed 92 days after the date of service but Anthem refused to pay even on appeal, even after letting them know. We also impacted by all uh, COVID have staffing shortages, uh, but they still you know, refused to pay. And so clearly they feel that they can use COVID as an excuse, but won't show the same mercy to the providers. Um, these are the healthcare providers, the heroes that are actually on the front line of COVID. And I say, don't ask for grace if you're not willing to give it. <laughs> wow, that's so true, you know. Um, the, you know, what's interesting, I think we've all worked in healthcare for a long, you know, a long time, and we've seen ebbs and flows in um, payment trends, but this trend of delayed payments is, has really been prevalent um, since the, the public health emergency. We're really seeing um, and hearing a lot from organizations who are dealing with this. You, know, you mentioned being the practice manager for your organization, I'm curious to see from your perspective, 
Um, what does it mean for you in your organization when payers don't make timely payments? Well, when they don't make timely payments, it not only causes a delay in the revenue and the revenue is what you need to cover your operating expenses, obviously, um, but uh, it causes additional uh, uh, cost. Uh, you have to uh, use resources to their tasks with working AR reports. They're checking claim statuses. Um, they're sometimes having to refile the claims or making phone calls. And those phone calls, we've all been on the phone with carriers. They can take forever to get through an infinite hold. Um, so much so you can put them on the speakerphone and have them on hold. And by the time they come on, you forgot who you even called because you continued to work. Um, but untimely payment ultimately resu results in higher AR and increased costs for working those claims and decreased revenue. And, you know, it's this, the same, the value of the dollar. We always talk about patient collections, about how the longer it takes to collect it, the less the value of that dollar. Same can be said, that's whether the dollar is coming from the patient or the insurance carrier. The longer it takes, the less the value of that dollar is. You know, that's, that's so true. And I think that for a lot of facilities, you know, we, we talk frequently to revenue cycle executives and practice management and practice administrators in larger facilities, but there are some that don't have that deep knowledge of what their timely payment terms even are in their contract. And they need to not only understand those participation agreements and the language on the timely payment of those clean claims, but they also need to ensure that they're in alignment with those individual state regulations. And so I guess what advice would you give for kind of closing those alignment gaps and understanding your right to timely payments? Because I don't know that all of our listeners really understand that they have rights there too. Um, yes, they definitely need to um, make sure that they understand what their contractual obligations are, as well as this, the, um, the state regulations and what they say. Um, that's very important. And, uh, but one thing that's a, a frustration is that there are so many caveats in the legislation that allow um, carriers to bypass that. Um, it could be if they're self-funded payers or governmental payers, um, you know, that they don't follow or are not regulated by the State Bureau of Insurance that would uh, seemingly enforce the, um, the, the legislation. And so you can have within one carrier, some, some uh, of the policies will be subject to it. Some are self-funded uh, groups and not subject to it. Uh, so it's very difficult with the millions of policies out there to understand which ones are caught by which uh, legislation and, and contractually as well. So obviously with, if there's a contractual, even in those instances, I think there might be some carve outs in, in the contracts. Um, I really feel like there could be some room for improvement in this area. I really feel like that the carriers should be responsible um, or made responsible or mandated to provide the information on the claim. Every claim that they pay, there should be an indicator that states whether or not, you know, with one of their little comments that they love to do, their remark codes, um, that they're subject to, uh, to state regulations in which the provider uh, practices medicines or that they're not subject to those state regulations. And that would give the claims processor a clear and the practice a clear understanding is can they be held accountable 
because it's nothing like going to a fight and you don't have the right information. So, you know, we want to know, are they exempt from that or do they have to abide by those laws? And we can't know that because we don't know the types of policies that, that these, all these various claims fall under. No, Sharon, when, when you said that it, it, it activated something in me. <laughs> Taya and I used the word activate rather than trigger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's good. It's but stolen. It, we, we took it from our skill from the Hill correspondence, actually. So that we, we attribute that one to Claire Ernst. <laughs> absolutely. But you know what, what that makes us think of is you know, making sure that we're keeping the insurance companies honest and that they're following state laws when it comes to claim adjudication and um, communication on clean claims. There's, each state has those regulations and I'm in the state of Maryland and our uh, insurance commissioner, our state insurance commissioner is super active. Um, so you know, a piece of advice that I think we would wanna share with our audience is stay in touch with your state's insurance commissioner and make sure that your insurance companies, the ones that you're participating with, who are supposed to follow certain guidelines when it comes to clean claims, that they're doing so. And when they're not, having that discussion with your insurance commissioner, because that insurance commissioner ultimately is the governing body for you know, the, the insurance companies within the states. And let me add something on to that last um, topic. You know, the uh, you talked about developing a relationship with the state insurance commissioner. And so every state's Bureau of Insurance is going to have their own methods for reporting. And um, and when I was looking at the um, Fair Business Practice Act for Virginia, which is um, uh, the one that would address this issue for the carriers in Virginia, they referenced the uh, reporting of um, situations where there's a trend, you know, not a single claim or what have you. But in, if we're not able to report violations, even if it's a single violation on a significant claim or something, if you figure that insurance, if they violate that process with me and I'm one provider and they have 5,000 providers in the States, if they just do it once with each provider, that's 5,000 violations. Um, so if you can't track them for everybody else, only for yourself. And so they don't want to hear about it unless there's a trend, unless there's a lot of, uh, you know, pattern of, of it. And, uh, and that's a lot to do, especially if you, again, you don't know if they're subject to those regulations. And then, so I even went on to the Bureau of Insurance um, website to see um, what the process would be to report. Can, you know, are they accessible, available? You have to get a user login. And of course, then you have HIPAA issues and things like that. You're supposed to get uh, patient consent. The whole process could be um, streamlined and, and you should be able to report so that if they're getting this from, you know, thousands of providers in the state, even though it's only one per provider, they see a pattern across providers. It doesn't have to be only just that with that one provider. And we could do it uh, without the information for the patient. We could provide internal claim numbers from the carriers and so that they can investigate directly or, or what have you. But because, um, you know, trying to get a hold of the patient to get authorization to release some of this information is gonna be a little difficult too, but the whole process needs to be looked at and people who make those rules have never sat in the process and they need to understand what the process is so that they can um, can make the, uh, the rules according to what the, those processes are. Totally agree. And, you know, 
when when you think about the relationships and the communications that in the past that we were able to have with our provider relations reps, um, <laughs> they used to come to the office and we used to actually have reps assigned to us that we could communicate these trends with. Um, you know, obviously with with the way that. Um, the world has changed. We don't really have those relationships, those deep relationships that we used to have with our provider relations reps. Um, so, so that can also kind of add to the challenge. I think that that we kind of deal with um, when we're identifying these trends, and you know, who do we communicate them with? Um, so, so that that's something that I think if if we can continue to as much as we can forge those relationships with our payers educate them on the processes that our staff, you know, are going through, um, that may also kind of help bridge that gap. Um, and, and what we also see is, at least for our audience, um, they do their best with implementing, you know, internal denials prevention programs, right? So we're trying to be proactive, right? However, um, you know, I think that we're also kind of dealing with tactics that we're seeing coming from certain payers, right? Like saying that their system is down, um, you know, the, the prior authorization mandates, um, backlogs, which are probably true because everyone is having, you know, staffing shortages, but backlogs with claim adjudication, with processing, um, requests for medical records, all of these tactics, all of these um, factors, they, they are factoring into our delayed payments. Do you have any best practices that you would recommend to avoid um, organizations contributing to the delay of their payments? Yes, actually I do. So first of all, those reps you talk about that we used to have conversations with uh, in the office and quarterly, they would visit and see how things were going. Um, some of them still do exist. And uh, so they've just been, their hands have been tied by, by the powers that be at the carriers. Um, so still try to reach out. Some of them do exist and some of them um, just have to know you won't go away till they resolve the issue. <laughs> um, but also I've had some a little bit of a success if I get a carrier on the phone and someone's extremely knowledgeable, which sometimes you, you wonder um, how many times you're given misinformation. But if you find somebody that's very knowledgeable, very helpful, um, and you let them know, say, I really appreciate you, you know, your professionalism and, and, and your knowledge. You're so very helpful. Um, can I get a direct extension? If I ever have a persistent problem, would you mind if I give you a call direct? Because you seem to really know what's going on. And sometimes they'll let you do that. And they'll let you just call them, you know, now I wouldn't call them and say, hey, can you just tell me the claim status, <laughs> you know, but if you had something going on, um, you know, that you wouldn't abuse that if you were to get it. But above all, always maintain your professionalism because if you the moment you lose any professionalism you you lose credibility with that payer it becomes an argument and um and i always try to to give them a reason to give me a yes to give them a reason to help me um to a way to get through that process um you know i, I give them the reason to make it right for me and um the avenue because they have rules they have to follow as well so try to show how it fits within the rule where they can make that right for you. Um, but also, uh, you know, as part of the financial management certificate program that I did through MGMA and the payer contracting module, Doral Jacobson, I think was her name, tells us to identify the hassle factor. So definitely track 
these um, issues, but not just by mentally thinking, oh, I always get requests for them. I always get requests for them. Write down uh, your internally for your own use claim numbers and uh, or voucher numbers, however your system identifies them. Keep those uh, things and notes handy. Have a scratch pad for each carrier that you're going to write down. This is a good example of when this became a huge problem. And uh, because when you go to renegotiate a contract or to um, go before a payer because of the multiple problems that you're having, you want to be able to display and information, give the information about the hassle with uh, factor and doing business with them. And the first thing they're going to say is show me examples. Um, because so many people will speak out of frustration. They'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, this pulled my hair out. Or, you know, well, when you go back and dissect it, I get it all the time. Someone will come to me and say, this is going on. And then when, then when, I, when I say, okay, let's look at it. And then I can see errors on both sides, ours and theirs. So you've got to make sure you've got your facts in a row. Because again, that helps your credibility. You've got facts that'll back it up. And you, uh, you admit to any... Uh, areas of for improvement that can be done on our side. You know, if we've messed up or if we've missed the mark or need to improve in some areas, I mean, it, it'd be transparent and say, hey, I understand we could do this a little better, but we'll strive to do this a little better. Can we get some, some um, improvement and um, direction from the carrier on the carrier side? So uh, now I will tell you, I have a long history in this business and early on, um, I was never afraid when we had uh, Medicare, Medicaid and um, TRICARE issues to go directly to congressional representatives. I was writing Congressman Owen Pickett and uh, Senator John Warner and all sorts of getting all sorts of people involved, the governors of uh, Virginia and of North Carolina when applicable when there was issues associated with a federal program. In fact, we had one Medicare Advantage program that was inappropriately applying uh, an LCD from Medicare to all of our claims um, for one particular service. And we were writing to the, to the Medicare Advantage carrier saying, this is, not, this is inappropriately applied. This doesn't apply. This is what the LCD says. This is what this case is. It doesn't apply. We were going to deny this was for a surgical procedure. And uh, we were getting nothing. So I wrote to a congressional representative. And so, of course, you know, even though I'll get a letter back from the congressional representative, you know, it's their staffers, but they have staff that, that handle these types of requests. And so that staffer contacts CMS, CMS contacted me. Um, CMS got the, um, the name of the carrier and no, no PHI is ever in, involved in this. It's just this, this is the circumstance. This is the problem. The information exchange only goes direct with the carrier who already has the claim, not with the congressional representative or anything like that. But it just gets attention to the issue. So CMS contacted me. I explained it. They then contacted the carrier. I got a, a, a high official from that carrier calling me. He got the information. And he said, we're going to go and audit all of our claims for your group for this procedure code. We're going to reprocess, make sure everything gets paid. Because see, he has to now report back to CMS because they answer to CMS. And CMS answers to the congressional representative. So, and as a matter of fact, when I talked to CMS, if you wonder why this didn't go to CMS, I talked to CMS, that, that representative when they called, 
And I was like, oh, is there a direct line or number you know, that I can just get you involved with taking my own advice, right? And she said, actually, we are mandated to reply to a congressional inquiry by a certain number of days or to a patient, a beneficiary, a certain number of days. We have no such mandate for providers. You are lowest on the totem pole. So they, they actually um, wanted us to contact, you know, said you'd be better off to contact the congressional representative because that's who they're going to reply to because that's what they're mandated to do. They have people in their office that are specific to sit there and answer congressional inquiries. Wow. You know, just thinking about everything that you said and, and the short amount of time that we've had today, you've really shared a lot of great ideas and a, a lot of great tips and strategies for our rev divers. Sharon, thank you so much. Um, this has truly, truly, truly been, I, I think Taya and I, we're very passionate about making sure that providers get paid on time. Um, and obviously you are as well, especially for your organization, but you sharing your knowledge with us. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much, Sharon. I enjoyed being here and uh, I think the world of you guys and uh, I'm going to get your books next, next uh, in 2022. That's one of my, my goals. <laughs> I know you have a book out on uh, revenue cycle management. So I'm definitely going uh, to get that because you can never stop learning. You always read and, and uh, you're just like with the legislature, you always read and then you have to react and then adapt to what's going on. And this is an ever changing area. So Read, react, and adapt. adapt. Yeah. Read, react, and, and adapt. And I already learned something from you today, Sharon. So thank you so much. And you brought up one of our favorite people for me to learn from also, which is Doral. Oh. She's uh, also a powerhouse. So uh, it's phenomenal, phenomenal. I had no idea that providers were at the bottom of the list for responses. How disheartening. <laughs> yeah, that's, been, that's, been, that's been a few years ago, several years ago. So, uh, so it may, well, I don't, I don't doubt we're still on the bottom of the list and uh, in their eyes, but, um, but their policies may have changed a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for being with us. Rev Divers, thanks for joining us today. Until we meet again, Rev Divers, keep digging into those Rev Cycles.